Hello, this is Ashley Chase welcoming you to the Mark Driscoll Podcast. For more content from my dad, Pastor Mark, Senior Pastor here at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona, visit realfaith.com, where you'll find study guides to go along with each sermon series as he preaches verse by verse through books of the Bible, daily devotions, free ebooks, and more. Now grab your Bibles and get ready for today's sermon. We are nearing the end of a long study of a life of a guy named Elijah, a prophet in the Old Testament. We've just got a few weeks left, and today we're in 1 Kings chapter 22. Uh, find that place in your Bible, and uh, if you're having a hard time finding it, that's okay. You've got an hour to find it. That's how long we're going to be doing this. And today is uh, 53 verses and 75 slides, and so this is going to be a new record, and breakfast will be free. All right, that's, that's where we're going, okay? And so the question today is, why does God allow evil, and does God, or how does God use it for good? And we live in this very unique time in human history where we know more about what is happening in the world than any other people or persons in the history of the world. On our phone every day, we keep getting news, but here's what's concerning. It's almost all bad news. And, and, and if you love Jesus, it's often really bad news. And what we get as a result is an overwhelming avalanche of uh, evil and darkness. We see it in our own life. We see it in the lives of our friends and families. We see it in our community, our nation, other nations. We see it in entertainment. We see it in politics. Uh, we see it in education. We see it in business. We see it everywhere. And it just feels like an avalanche of just evil, injustice, and wrongdoing that is winning. And what happens is it causes for people um, a lot of discouragement and exhaustion. You're looking like, I don't think it's getting better, but I'm getting tired. And statistically, what this is causing for the average person is uh, depression and mental health issues. The more we know, the worse we feel. And what we're gonna do then is ask, well, where is God in this world? And is God active and present? And what is his plan? And so the question that we're going to ask, and this is all in the study guide, you can get a free copy on the way out or go to realfaith.com in the store. But here's the question. If God is, God is sovereign, he is sovereign, the Bible says, he is powerful and he is good. Evil exists and creatures, human beings and angels and demons bear moral responsibility for it. How can we reconcile the character of God with the reality of sin? Okay? So we look out at the world and we're like, we see evil and injustice and suffering. You look up and you're like, God, what are you doing? Are, are you powerful? It says you are. Are you sovereign over it all? It says you are. Are you good? It says you are in your word. And that's what we're gonna deal with today. And if you wanna study more of this, um, you can look up one of these two words. This is called the problem of evil or something called theodicy, T-H-E-O-D-I-C-Y, theodicy. Now, what we're gonna do, we're gonna look in 1 Kings 22. It's a 3,000 year old report of what was going on in a nation. And it's gonna sound exactly like our day. And then we're gonna ask how God worked in that day. Could it be that he is going to work similarly in our day? And so here we're gonna jump right in. First uh, Kings 22, the first issue, safety and security are threatened. People don't feel safe. For three years, First Kings 22, one, Syria and Israel, these are two nations that are bordering one another to this very day, uh, continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel said to his servants, do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? It's a disputed piece of territory. Um, this is a, just, let me say, this is a border war issue. I, I know it has nothing, I know we can't relate to it, but imagine you lived in a place that was on the border of another country, and there was an invasion and, and people were suffering and the border was not secure. And so they were looking at having to escalate to war to secure the border. I mean, you know, it's an old book. It doesn't relate to us, but that's what they were dealing with. Thankfully, we've, we've evolved beyond that kind of primitive, not covering your border. Anyways, and the king of Israel said to his servants, do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And we keep quiet and do not take it out of the land, the hand of the king of Syria. And he said to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses, your horses. What they've been dealing with are terrorist skirmishes on a border battle that have the potential of escalating to a full-blown war. 
And in that day, like our day, in the Middle East, there are all of these small nations and they have very tight borders. And the result is that one group believes that they hold the land, the other group believes that they hold the land. So there's a war, one person moves the border and then there's troop buildup and then there's another war and then the border gets moved and there's a constant battle for the border. Now there has been peace for three years, but it is escalating. How many of you, as you read the news or hear the news, it's like, oh boy, it looks like we could be headed to war. And there's this growing escalation sense of tension. And what happens when you go to war is really, it truly is hell. And what happens when you go to war is you sacrifice the best and brightest young men and the future. And, and what happens in war is that mothers and fathers bury their sons. And what happens in war is that wives become widows and children become orphans and the future becomes deficit of the best men. And so now there's this anxiety. Are we headed toward war? Are we headed toward some sort of geopolitical conflict? Are our borders secure? Is there any future for us? And what the people are feeling is a heightened sense of a lack of safety. And it's amazing because what it says was for three years, they felt pretty good. And then they were looking at a really significant conflict. Without raising your hand, how many of you in the last few years, you feel less safe? You feel less safe. You're like, you know, it, it didn't feel that safe, but man, the last few years, it, it feels less safe. It feels like things are not secure and, and people are literally plotting evil and injustice is happening. And, 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 and as a result, people feel less safe. Number two, false prophets report the news. Again, I know we can't relate to this. It's an old book that has nothing to say to us. Oh, those, those were a long time ago. And Jehoshaphat said to King of Israel, inquire first for, uh, for the word of the Lord. They're like, okay, well, before we make some sort of big decision, let's ask God what he would have us to do. Then the King of Israel gathered his prophets together, about 400 men, these are 400 false prophets, and said to them, shall I go into battle against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? War or no war? What do you think God would say? And they said, go up for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. You're gonna win, guaranteed, no problem. We took a poll and we know the polls are always right. So 400 of us voted. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? There's 400 prophets, like did we miss anybody? And the king of Israel, that is King Ahab, the demonic evil king married to Queen Jezebel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man. Yeah, there's one other guy. Uh, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, but I hate him. For he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. Every day I ask him his opinion and he pokes me in the eye. He's, I'm not a fan. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, bring quick Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes at the threshing floor. They're in luxury and safety at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Canaanah, made for himself horns of iron and said, thus says the Lord, with these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, go up to Ramoth Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hands of the king. You're gonna win, no problem. And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, behold, the words of the prophets with one accord, all 400 guys agree, are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. Hey, Micaiah, here's what we need you to do. Just go and agree with the 400 other guys. All right, this needs to be 401, not 401. But uh, Micaiah said, I love Micaiah. He can't help himself. He's gonna pick a fight and tell the truth. He's, in heaven, I'm giving this dude a hug. I love this guy. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. He's like, I will not say what he wants to hear. I'll say what God has to say. And when he had come to the king, he said to the king, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or should we refrain? 
And he answered, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, well, here's the truth. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each one return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? 400 prophets against one prophet. The odds are still the same. In their day, the prophets would have been like the press secretary, the, the reporters at, oh, let's say uh, the leading governmental place that the King of Israel, we would call it their version of the White House. These would be the people who are putting out press releases, answering questions. This would be the press secretary. These would be the nightly newscasters. These would be the platform people telling you the news. In that day, you didn't have a press, you had a government and they would tell you what was happening. And so the 400 false prophets in their day would be like the media influencers and the press secretaries and the PR firms and the nightly news reporters in our day. The people are like, what's going on? Well, these are the people that will tell you. And you'll notice that there's 400 false prophets who are lying and there's one true prophet who's telling the truth. And in our day, I'm telling you, the numbers are about the same. There are far more people than lying than telling the truth and far more false prophets who will say whatever gets them profit than true prophets of God. Now, that being said, what happens here, you've got 400 against one. And what is compelling and propelling the false prophets is monetization. They're getting paid well. In our day, we have lots of false prophets. They're saying things that they know are not true. And they're all agreeing and linking to one another and quoting one another. New days, old demons. And in their day, they got paid for it. The 400 prophets were literally paid by the government. In our day, it's clicks and it's clickbait and it's advertisers and it's revenue, but it's all the same. I will say what people wanna hear and I will financially benefit from saying things that are untrue. Now, that being said, in their day, they had false prophets and Jesus promised that we would have more false prophets in our day. Matthew 24, 11, the Lord Jesus Christ says this, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. This is where God's people need discernment. Don't believe everything you hear. And just because they're all agreeing doesn't mean that they're all telling the truth. Um, we're gonna get into the book of Jude in August and it's about discernment and true and false teaching. And we're gonna get into this at a, at a deeper level. But just by introduction, uh, I've got this in your notes, but just some ways to discern true and false prophets. Number one, uh, a true prophet has moral character. They're faithful to their wife, they tell the truth, they, they love the Lord, they, they do what's right in the sight of God. A false prophet has immoral character. Uh, they're willing to do just about anything that is against God. They don't much have a conscience or a commitment to the Lord. Number two, a a true prophet, when they tell you something's gonna happen, guess what? It happens. False prophet, doesn't happen. I, I, I've said this before, but I think, I think COVID-19 was the greatest season of false prophets in the history of the world. They're all quoting each other, predicting something that didn't happen. Now, that being said, when a, when a, when a false prophet tells you something, it doesn't happen. In addition, a true prophet, this is interesting. A true prophet speaks for God to the politician. That's a true prophet. What a false prophet does, they speak for the politician to the people. And the question is, well, who do you work for? Do you work for the politician or do you work for the Lord? This is why even as we're going to head into election season, I am very reticent ever to endorse candidates because we don't think in terms of left and right, we think in terms of heaven and hell and right and wrong. And so, if you're speaking for a politician, it's hard to speak for the Lord to the politician. Right? And so for me, my goal is always open the word of God and tell the truth. And if somebody's on the wrong side, well, I don't care what their name is, they're on the wrong side. Because right? it's about God, not about them, and it's about the kingdom. It's not about an election. In addition, um, what happens to a true prophet, they get prison. You're gonna see that with Micaiah. And a false prophet, they get paid. They get paid. Now, I was thinking about this as I was praying for you today. It's pretty incredible. Micaiah, his name means who is like the Lord and he stands alone 
like Elijah. But, but just consider this. How many of you, um, the assumption or presumption is when there's a lot of confusion, you're not sure what's right and wrong and true and false. If a whole bunch of people agree and they're all saying the same thing, you assume that must be the truth. Unless they're not reporting the same facts, but they are instead channeling the same demon. That brings us to the next point. A lying spirit overtakes the media. Just going through a book of the Bible. First Kings 22, verse 19. And Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. God needs to speak into a situation to know what's true and false. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. Guess who that is? Jesus Christ. In Isaiah six, he says, I saw the Lord seated on his throne. Same thing. John 12, 41 says, I saw Jesus. Isaiah saw Jesus in all of his glory. This is Jesus. This is our Jesus sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven, all the angels standing beside him on his right and in his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab, the demonic king of Israel, that he may go up and fall or be killed in battle at Ramoth Gilead. And one, one demon uh, said one thing and another, another. Then a spirit came forward, a demonic spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I'll entice him. I'll go lie to him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. I will give the same lie to 400 men and they will all tell the same lie. And then the people will think that they're telling the truth because they agree. Sometimes the reason that a lie is so powerful, it's the same demon speaking through different false prophets. They're quoting each other, they're supporting one another. And if you're a typical observer in this day, you're like, those 400 guys are all confident. They all went to college. They all got degrees. They're all very certain. They're all saying the same thing. And there's one guy who disagrees. I'm very confused. Why would they all say the same thing unless they were reporting the same facts? Well, maybe they're all being used by the same demon. So what causes them to have the same message is not the facts, but the spirit. Going on. Um, he, and he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed, go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit. That's a demon. Jesus says that Satan is the father of lies. This is one of his sons. In the mouth of all 400 of these prophets, the Lord has declared disaster to you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Canaanah, came near and struck Micah on the cheek, punched him in the mouth. Hey, don't tell the truth. Don't, don't rebuke the king. Don't speak to the king. You speak for the king. If, if you're gonna be a prophet, you can't speak for anyone but the Lord. And you need to speak to anyone for the Lord. What they tell him is you're not allowed to speak to the king. You only say what he says. You don't say what God says. And he said, how did the spirit of the Lord go from me and speak to you? And Micaiah said, behold, uh, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. He's here prophesying the future. There's a day you're gonna be alone and God predicted it. And here's what's gonna happen. And the king of Israel, that is Ahab, the demonic evil man, said, seize Micaiah and take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison. False prophets get paid, true prophets get prison, and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, if you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken to me. And he said, here all you people. I love this guy, Micaiah. They're, they're like, punch him in the mouth, send him to jail. And then the ruler says, when I see you again, he says, you won't, you'll be dead. And he tells all the people, just write that down. He's a dead man. He's a dead man. So the question here is, what in the world is God doing using a lying spirit? God's using a demon. How many of you are like, that bothers me. I don't understand that. Let me explain to you how this works. I like to take complex things and make them as simple as possible. So we're here in the world. Satan and demons rule this world. Now, if you don't believe that, just go shopping, look around, okay? How do we know this as well in the Bible? Well, Jesus says in John 12, 31, that Satan is, quote, the ruler of this world. 
In 1 John 5, 19, uh, Jesus' best friend, John says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul talks about Satan as, quote, the God of this world. And Ephesians 2, 2, it says that the world is obeying the devil. So let me explain to you how this works. We're in the world, Satan rules the world. Satan and demons rule the world. And God rules over Satan, demons, and the world. So there's us, Satan and demons, they, they don't have access, if you're a believer, to being inside of you, but they're at work all around you. Death, destruction, lies, evil, seduction, temptation. Satan is at work around you. God is at work in you, but God is also at work and ruling and reigning over everyone and everything. So what happens here, um, this lying demonic spirit needs to get permission from the Lord to go entice Ahab to go into battle so that the king would be killed. This is God's sovereign plan. And God is not only sovereign over the ends, but the means. So think of it like this. People ruled by Satan and demons, God ruling and reigning over Satan, demons, and people. That's exactly what's happening. Now in this, what I don't want you to think is that God is evil or doing evil. God is not evil and he's not doing evil. Instead, God is good and the demon is bad. And the demon wants to do what? I'm a lying spirit. That's my whole job description. I, I, I like to lie. I'd love to lie. Now, Ahab, the king, does he want the Holy Spirit or demonic spirits? He wants demonic spirits. Does he want truth or lies? Lies. So Ahab is like, I would like a demon to lie to me. And the demon's like, I would like to go lie to him. And God's like, I'll let you do that. I'll let you do that. Did God make them do that? No. Did God let them do that? Yes. This is a case study in the difference between God's active and his permissive will. His active will is where God does something. His permissive will is God lets people and demons do what they want and he doesn't stop them. That doesn't mean that he's responsible. He didn't do it, they did. And what happens here at the end of the day, as we have established, that God is so good that he can even rule over a demon and use it for his good. We're gonna get into this in a little more detail later in the sermon, but this should give you great encouragement because sometimes as believers, there's so much evil, there's so much lying, there's so much counterfeit. Well, maybe the Lord has a plan for all of that. And it's a plan to destroy evil and to bless his people. And again, the 400 prophets all agree because they're working by the same demonic power. Are you encouraged? Okay, if you're, if you're, if you're discouraged, it's gonna get worse, okay. Uh, I know this is an old book, has nothing to do with today, but the next thing we learn is that political leaders are weak cowards. And um, 1 Kings 22, 29. So the kings of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, this is all political. Right? It's always the prophets versus the politicians. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. So this is the Northern kingdom of Israel, the Southern kingdom of Judah. It was split after the days of Solomon into two kingdoms. Went up to Ramoth Gilead and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear robes. I'll explain all this. And the king of Israel disguised himself. He's a coward and he went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, here's the orders for the battle, fight with neither small nor great, but only the king of Israel. One objective, get the king. That's the objective. And when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, it is surely the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him and Jehoshaphat cried out. And when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, it was instead the king of Judah, um, they turned back from pursuing him. This is God being funny. Right? Some of you don't know this. God has a sense of humor and it's dry. <laughs> it's dry. So God here is gonna say things in a way that's kind of funny. And I love this. Um, but a, a certain man, Mr. Nobody, we have no idea who this guy is, drew his bow at random. Some, some dude, he's off in the battlefield, he's, he's new. He's like, what the heck? He's trying to get, he's like, 
uh-oh, uh-oh. He accidentally fired an arrow. Whoops. Looks up. Where did it go? This is awesome. And it struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. It just happened to go to the quarter inch that you could kill the king. What a cool... That's the sovereignty of God. See, God's sovereign. God's like, you know what? I'm gonna have Mr. Nobody accidentally fire the arrow. There we go. And, and, and sometimes when the Bible uses language like this, it's God's way of mocking his enemies. Because here the king is like, I'm the king and I have an army and I will hide and I'll be in armor and I won't wear my robes and they'll never find me. And God's like, ha ha, you know? And it's God mocking his enemies. Because if you're a king, how do you wanna die? Nobly. Instead, you're like, what happened? You're like, I don't know. Some buck private was cleaning his gun and shot me. (laughs) And he got me right under my Kevlar. I mean, uh, God hates you. That's what happened, okay? (laughs) Therefore, he said to the driver of the chariot, turn around and carry me out of the battle for I am wounded. And the battle uh, continued that day and the king was propped up on his chariot facing the Syrians until at evening he died. And the blood of the wound flowed from the bottom of the chariot and about sunset, a cry went out through the army. The king is dead. Every man to his city and every man to his country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria and they buried the king in Samaria and they washed the chariot. Again, now it's full of his blood by the pool of Samaria. And this gets real dark. And the dogs licked up his blood. How many of you are like, I did not read that in my kid's storybook Bible. I did not read that. <laughs> and the prostitutes washed themselves in the blood. You're like, yeah, no veggie tail for that. No veggie tail. <laughs> no veggie, I missed that. <laughs> it, that's not your safe for the whole family verse of the day on Christian radio right there. <laughs> Hey, today, uh, dog, wild dogs drank uh, the king's blood and the male prostitutes bathed themselves in it. Have fun at homeschool, kids. You know, I mean, it's just, it's a little dark, okay? I mean, it's, it's dark, right? Okay, just, I like it. Okay, so anyways, um, some of you are like, my new life verse. Okay, we're not going that far. Uh, you're, you, hey, back off, Comic-Con, back off, right? Yeah, okay. Now, uh, the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did and the ivory house that he built. You know you're loaded when you're building an ivory house. And all the cities that he built, very wealthy and powerful, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the king of Israel? So here's the deal. So the king of Syria has a battle plan and he says, fight only with the king of Israel. So the king of Syria, his plan is go kill Ahab. King Jehoshaphat, he's courageous. He's like, I'm gonna go into the fight and I'll put my robes on and I will sit up on the hill on my chariot and be like, come get me boys, come get me. He's ready for the fight. Ahab, coward. I'm not wearing my robes. I'm gonna dress like one of the buck privates. I'm gonna get to the back of the fight. I'm gonna keep my head down. I'm gonna stay out of trouble. I'll let all the other men die. I'll let all the other men fight, but not me, I'm a coward. You know, war would be very different if the commander in chief had to go to the battle. Here, at least the commander in chief is in the battle. Can you imagine? (laughs) Oh my gosh, a breeze took him out. You know, like, so anyways. I don't know, I probably shouldn't have said that, but I was just thinking about it. So the kings have got their plan and God's got his plan. Whose plan prevails? The Lord's sovereign plan. All the kings have got their plan. The King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's got his plan. And that is a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the King of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Here's the big idea. Everybody's got a plan, but God's got a plan. And God's plan is sovereign over everybody else's plan. That being said, um, the death here and the bloodshedding of Ahab is a fulfilled prophecy from the previous chapter, 1 Kings 21, 19. Ahab the king murdered Naboth, an innocent man to steal his land. Actually, Jezebel, his wife did, but she did it for her husband. So what happened is Elijah said, your blood's gonna be shed. 
Two things here. Number one, the dogs lick up the blood. These are wild dogs and they're still all over the Middle East. I've been to this region. I've actually been up to the Syrian border within sniper distance. These places are still having fights. And the, the wild dogs lick up the blood. And then everyone debates, what the heck is going on with the prostitutes washing themselves in the blood? Okay. Let me give you my thought. I think these are male prostitutes. In the next section, you're gonna hear about male prostitutes. It seems like Pride Month became a year long affair. And when the king dies and his blood is there, then the prostitutes, perhaps male prostitutes, worshiping demon gods, because sexuality and spirituality always go together, either for or against the Lord, they then wash themselves in the blood. And I was thinking about this, is this a counterfeit of Jesus Christ? See, our king shed his blood for us. And there's an old Christian hymn that talks about being washed in the blood. Well, Ahab, the demonic king, shed his blood and those who were devoted to the demonic worship of Baal and Astra are now being washed in the blood of their king. I believe that this could be a counterfeit because everything God creates Satan counterfeits, this could be a demonic counterfeit of the shedding of blood of our king, Jesus Christ. And Christians will even use that language, have you been washed in the blood? Well, here literally the prostitutes are washing themselves in the blood of the king. So the next point, more encouragement. Uh, the government is hopelessly corrupt. Um, and if you're in your 20s and don't agree, you will just wait, okay? First Kings 22, uh, verse uh, 46. So Ahab slept with his fathers, the king died, and Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. What we looked at in 1 Kings 16, we looked at five generations of this family ruling and reigning, evil worse, evil worse, evil worse, evil worse. It literally is just decline and descent toward hell. Every generation of this ruling family is worse than the one before. Ahab dies, what do we get? His son, we get worse. And, and let me say this, in their day, they had life sentences or life terms. See, at least every four years, we're like, I don't know, let's try somebody else. In their day, you were the king as long as you were alive. So if they're evil, they're evil for decades. Unless God kills them, which he's going to do with this man. And so what we see here is um, just because you get new politicians doesn't mean you get a different government. Because what happens is the, the, pre, the, the politicians here, the kings, the kings come and go, but the behavior is the same because the same demon is working through the different kings. That's why our war is not against flesh and blood, but power principalities and spirits. You can get new people, but if it's the old demons, you get the same results. This happens all the time, every election season. People are like, we got a new politician, they're demons too. <sighs> okay, and, and that's what's happening here. They got a new government, but nothing changed because even though it was a new man, it was an old spirit. Well, um, let's take a look at God's people. Number six, believing leaders are not fully committed to God. So now what we have is uh, apostasy in the church. First uh, Kings uh, 22, um, I think it's verse 41. I'm old, so that's a small font. Um, Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, began to reign over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhai. He walked in the way of Asa, his father. So his dad was a believer. So he lived, the, this king lives as a believer. Again, Northern kingdom, all evil. Southern kingdom, kind of hit and miss. He's in the Southern kingdom. He is a believer. He did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord yet. He walked with the Lord, but not totally. He was like many people, a lukewarm, half committed believer who had Jesus ruling over parts of his life, but not every part of his life. Yet the high places were not taken down. That's where they would go to worship their demons, Baal, Astra, commit sexual sin, and then child sacrifice, all sponsored by the government. 
and the people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel, northern and southern kingdom. Demonic and lukewarm believers. If they come together, who's gonna win? The demonic, because the lukewarm believers don't have much fight in them. Goes on to say, he also made peace with the king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his might that he showed and how he warned, uh, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And from the land, he exterminated the remnant of the male cult prostitutes. There they are, who remained in the days of his father Asa. So you've got the Northern kingdom, Israel, ruled by demonic King Ahab. Southern kingdom, it's a family of believers, but they're not totally devoted and committed to the Lord. What it says is, well, he got rid of the male cult prostitutes, but he didn't get rid of the high places. So imagine, uh, imagine a government that was sanctioning um, just rampant sexuality, gender confusion, and publicly endorsing uh, male sexuality on a gender spectrum. And it's an old book, it's hard to relate to it. Um, but that's what was happening. And so this king in the Southern Kingdom comes says, those guys are unemployed. We're, we're not doing that anymore. And he exterminated the remnant of the male cult prostitutes. What you have here in the Northern Kingdom, evil, and in the Southern Kingdom, lukewarm. Today, we would call these soft woke churches. They, they are Christians, but, but it'd be hard to convict them in court based upon the evidence. Right? These are the people that are like, well, you know, I love Jesus and I think he's the only way, but I'm not telling anybody because I'll get in trouble. And uh, yeah, we love the Bible, but there's certain parts, you know, they'll get you in trouble. So we just skip those. There are certain things that the, the word of God is clear about and we're just gonna kind of avoid that if we possibly can. And so what you have here, you have uh, believers that are afraid of the culture and what they're doing is they're starting to make concessions and they're starting to surrender and retreat. Sound familiar? It's happening everywhere. It's happening everywhere. And so then what happens is as God's people retreat and surrender, what happens then is point number seven, cultural decay spreads everywhere. I'm gonna jump forward to 2 Kings 8. So I'm, I'm out of order, but I'm in historical order. In the fifth year of Joram, the king of Ahab, king of Israel, demonic evil king, when Jehoshaphat was king of Judah, Jehoram, the king of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 32 years old when he became king and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, demonic. And the house of Ahab had done for the daughter of Ahab was his wife. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Here's what happens. Evil demonic, lukewarm believers. For peace, they decide, Let's intermarry the families. Now you have lukewarm believers marrying demon-possessed unbelievers. Just write this down, dad, if you forget everything I say. If your son brings home a girlfriend named Jezebel, break up with her, okay? That's what you gotta do. Instead, what he's gonna do, he is going to, the king is going to marry his son to Jezebel's daughter. This is as bad as it could possibly be. And here's who she is. Uh, Ahaziah was 22 years old when he began to reign and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. God said, one year with this guy. God's like, I'm done, I'm done. His mother's name was Athaliah. She was granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. Who's her mom? Jezebel. Who's her dad? Ahab. He also walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as the house of Ahab had done, for he was the son-in-law to the house of Ahab. Okay, let me tell you what's going on here. If a believing family is lukewarm, don't be shocked when their children are evil. Because if you don't take your faith seriously, why would take, they take their faith seriously? And if you're gonna compromise on significant things, why should they not compromise on significant things? And that's exactly what happens. And it's always the same thing. What they're looking for between the Northern and Southern kingdom is power, money, and sex. It's the same counterfeit trinity that we deal with in every generation. 
So the king of the Southern kingdom and the king of the Northern kingdom have a conversation. They're like, if our kids marry, we'll unite the kingdoms. And the king of the Southern kingdom is thinking, that's great, more money, more power. Your wife is attractive. Your daughter is attractive. You're, you, you know, you gals are legendary. It's a lot of fun. We'll take the deal. And all you're doing then is you're not only compromising, you're compromising the legacy of your family. Men, you've always got to think in terms of a legacy. Who I marry determines how these children will be raised. How we operate according to our convictions and principles will determine how seriously our children and grandchildren take the word of God and our God. And here, what you have is lukewarm believers that are setting a bad example for the next generation. And the next generation is willing to marry unbelievers, not just unbelievers, people of different religions. Statistically today, that's the highest probability of divorce is two people marrying, practicing different religions. Now, Athelia, here's who they marry. It's Jezebel's daughter. She has the demonic Jezebel spirit of her mother. She gets her son to become the king. He dies. This is all in um, 2 Kings 8 and 2 Kings 11. Her son dies. So now they need someone to rule and reign. And there's a bunch of potential male heirs. So guess what she does? Murders every single one. And now there's only one option. Athalia, Jezebel's daughter. She becomes the highest ruling authority in the nation. She rules the nation of Israel for six years. In the history of the nation of Israel, and here we are thousands of years later, only one time has there been a woman who ruled the nation of Israel with no man, no husband, Athaliah, Jezebel's daughter. Let me speak to the ladies. If you have any Jezebelian tendencies in your family history, if you don't repent of it and rebuke it and reject it, it'll go into your daughters and your granddaughters. They'll be controlling, sensual, independent, and dangerous. And what happens with a demonic curse in a family, it becomes generational iniquity. And generational iniquity, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger every generation. And so if you have more Ahab tendencies, which is passive, like, I don't know, we don't wanna deal with your mother and your sisters and you know, your, your, the gals in your family are a little much. And so we just don't deal with them. What you're saying is then a double dose to my daughters and a quadruple dose to my granddaughters. It just gets worse. It gets worse and worse and worse. That's what's going on here. Um, and what you see at this point, the marriage of Ahab and Jezebel is now playing out nationally. In the North, controlling. In the South, passive. Domineering, tolerating. This is going to be complete overtaking. It's amazing if your marriage isn't right, your family, legacy, business, ministry, all start to mirror the dynamics of your marriage. That's exactly what's happening. The result as well is that the evil in the North starts to invade the South. If you don't oppose evil, it doesn't stop itself. Evil just keeps taking and overtaking. So the evil was in the North and now it's starting to go to the South. I know it's an old book, it doesn't you know, really apply to us, but hypothetically today, it would be like there were certain urban strongholds that were overtaken by demonic spirits and evil and sexual perversion and sick men who were passive and men who were confused in their gender and doing naughty things that were demonic. And the city as a result became an unlivable place and it was just catastrophic and nobody wanted to stop it. And so it just kept spreading to other cities and rural areas and suburban areas. And the next thing you know, it took over the whole country. I mean, you know, thankfully it's, it's an old book. Doesn't happen like that, right? Okay. So uh, more discouragement. Number eight, complete impossible division. 
People are like, how do we get along? How do we reconcile? How do we work this out? How do we bring everybody together? What about unity? <laughs> Impossible. Light and darkness, don't go together. Good and evil, don't go together. The Holy Spirit and demonic spirits, don't go together. The world and the church, don't go together. There was no king in Edom, 1 Kings twenty-two forty-seven. A deputy was king. Jehoshaphat made ships of Tarshish to go on to Ophir for gold, but they did not go for the ships were wrecked at Ezion Geber. Then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, let my servants go with your servant in the ships. But Jehoshaphat was not willing. Now they're not working together anymore. And Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers. He died, was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father, and Jehoram, his son, raised in his place, reigned in his place. So here's what you have. You have division between nations and you have division within the nation. Sound familiar? You're like, we got enemies out there. We got enemies in here. So now there's division between nations and now there's division within the nation, particularly the Northern and the Southern. They're not even working together. True or false, it feels like the time that we're in is like the days of Elijah. It's like our nation has two different people with two different mindsets and they aren't working together and getting along. New days, old demons. New days, old demons. And in their day, it's good versus evil. And this is the issue. I'm your pastor, I love you. I'm glad to teach the Bible. I appreciate your pain tolerance and bladder capacity, so thank you. Um, but don't get sucked into the worldly wisdom of left versus right. It's good versus evil. That's the issue. That's the issue. That's the issue. Okay, okay this is my last uh, introductory point. Um, 1 Kings twenty-two fifty-one. nothing changes. Ahaziah, no cheers, no amen, no praise the Lord, no hallelujah, nothing, okay. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, demonic evil king, began to reign over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. What's interesting, I won't get into the details. These people and these places and these events are historically recorded outside of the Bible. It's all true and verified because God's word always tells the truth. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He would have called it, you know, sort of an alternative morality, <laughs> uh, but he was evil. Um, he felt very judged by that, but he was evil. He was very triggered by that, but he was evil. He had other friends that agreed with him on social media that this was not loving and he was evil. In the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his fathers and the way of his mother, who's evil, in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, who made Israel sin. He served Baal, demon God, and worshiped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. Uh, the Holy Spirit just brought something to mind. Let me ask a question to the men. Number one, are your sons gonna be like you? Yes or no? Yes. Number two, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Every man's gotta look himself in the mirror and say, if my sons grow up to be like me and my daughters marry someone like me, is that a good thing or a bad thing? What happens here, these sons have loyalty to their father, not the heavenly father. So they look just like their earthly father, they look nothing like their heavenly father. And what we've done from 1 Kings 16 to here, we've now gone six generations in this crazy demonic family. And do you know how much progress they have made? Zero. We live in this progressive myth that new is improved. Now, just because it's new doesn't mean it's improved. And people are like, we're making so much progress. We're making progress. We're making so much, look at how far we've gone. We're making so much, pro oh my gosh, we're making so much progress. We're progressive, we made so much progress. Ah! That's where you started. <laughs> you, <laughs> you're a drunk with one short leg, just going in a, that's what you are. Probably shouldn't have said that either, but that, that's who you, that's where you are. And, and what the world calls progress is simply just delusional. Here we've gone six generations and we've gone nowhere. Okay, here's the summary. 
Because of the fall, unless you fight the gravity of evil, decline, decay, and death are certain. We live in a fallen world, and unless you push against the gravitational force of a cursed and fallen world, it just gets worse. This is where evolution is a powerful delusion and myth. We're good at getting better. Like, have you looked? It's, we're not good and it's not getting better. In fact, gravity is winning unless someone is fighting. Number two, our political and cultural options are often between the really bad and the not quite as bad. See, in all, in all of our Western stories, you're like, it's, it's the good guys versus the bad guy. And the Bible's like, it's the bad guys and the really bad guys. Okay, all right, so I'll try again. Okay, behind, <laughs> behind cultural decline are demonic forces. You're like, whoa, it just feels like, man, it got dark and heavy and overwhelming. And boy, it feels like our team is losing and we're on our back foot. Government is a cancer to the church. See, the two options here, in the North, they closed the church. In the South, they compromised the church. Yeah, it's, it's woke and soft woke, but it's, it's not the word of God. It's not the spirit of God. Number five, church and political governance rises or falls with leadership. Nothing changes unless there's a godly spirit-filled leader in Elijah. Micaiah is a godly spirit-filled leader. Elijah is a godly spirit-filled leader, but without leadership, it doesn't go well. Number six, parents, hear me in this. Getting the next generation to marry godly people is a life and death issue. We're always one generation from Christianity being over. And if we're lukewarm and our children don't care, then that legacy comes to an end. Who your children marry is incredibly important. Number seven, God sees and knows everyone and everything on the earth. What's amazing is God's like, I know the kings, I know the borders, I know the land, uh, I know the intentions of the heart, I know the arrow, like I, I got all the, God's got all the details. Okay, so let me get to my point. That was my introduction, here's my point. That's true, that was my introduction, here's my point. What we're gonna talk about now is the problem of evil. And here's the question, if God is all powerful, all knowing and all good, why is there suffering and evil? If there's a God who is good, is powerful um, and does see what's happening, which we just learned he does, what's going on? God, why, 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 why? Some of you have been there, some of you are there. And sometimes it's just looking at the state of the world and sometimes it's, it's pain in your own life. Injustice and evil isn't just something in the news, it's something in your life. You're like, why in the, why did that happen to me? When evil and suffering occur, when injustice seems to win, I'm gonna walk you through them quickly. Philosophically, theologically, there are six potential answers. Number one, there is no God. Hey, all we got is this. There's nobody above it. There's no, no rescue coming. No help is on the way. You're on your own. Number two, God is not all powerful. This is called finite Godism. God is good and God knows what's happening, but God's not that strong. Like all of us, you know, sometimes God loses a fight. And sometimes, you know, Satan and demons win and God loses. And he doesn't have unlimited power. Number three, God is not all-knowing. This is called evolutionary godism or a heresy that's crept into some churches called open theism. God's good, God's powerful, but God doesn't know the future. God's like us, he's in time. And so the reason he didn't deal with that is he didn't see it coming, it surprised him. And God's in time like us and he's learning and he's responding, but Satan and demons, sometimes they do stuff that he didn't know about and they got him by surprise and they won. In addition, there is another option. God is not all good. This is pantheism, panentheism. This is the theology behind avatar. This is the yin and the yang. Well, the reason that there is good and evil is God is good and evil. Well, the Bible says God is good, not evil, and in him is light. There is no darkness at all. The fifth position is there is no suffering and evil. This would be philosophical subjectivism. Well, it feels like suffering to you, but it's not. It's for a greater good. You're just overreacting. And philosophically, this leads to Buddhism, which isn't technically a religion, it's a philosophy. It doesn't even believe in God. And it says that pain, suffering are an illusion. It's like, 
We just deny that it exists. Christianity, God is not done yet, so live by faith, not by sight. Christianity is we're in the middle of the story and we haven't reached the conclusion. There's something in us that just keeps watching those big movies where evil comes, everything is in peril, there is no hope, and then there's this major plot twist at the end and we all get rescued. It's because deep down, we all want the story of the Bible. We want the hero to come in and save us. Let me talk to you about the sovereignty of God. And in the days that we live, the sovereignty of God should be for you so comforting. Because, okay, here's a question. Who's in charge? Well, you got, you got a few options. You're like, nobody. You're like, okay, that doesn't help. Satan and demons, you're like, oh, okay. I gotta go put a helmet and a cup on right now. Like, this is not a good option, right? God's in charge. Oh, oh okay, good, good to know. Satan rules the world, God rules over Satan in the world. The sovereignty of God is this, it's so comforting. Number one, God is only good and he does not ordain evil. All this evil we just read in 1 Kings 22, all the evil you'll read in the news, God's not making any of that happen. That's in his permissive will. He's good. God allows evil, God allows evil. Sometimes God's like, if that's what you wanna do, I'm gonna let you do it. That's what you wanna do? I'm gonna let you do it. Right now, it seems like a heightened season in our nation for permissive evil. God's like, I'm gonna let it happen. Or I'm handing them over to quote Romans one. Number three, people and demons who do evil are morally responsible. Ahab's evil, he can't blame anybody. His son's evil, his wife is evil, their daughter's evil, they're all evil. And they can't be like, God, you made us. I didn't make you do anything. I kept sending the prophet to tell you to do something different. That's all on you. Here's the good news. God uses evil for good. And lastly, God overcomes evil. Now, let me say this. In certain ways, on certain days, we've all been, we've all been evil. And here's what's awesome. His good is bigger than our bad. How many of you, you're like, man, if God didn't show up and save me from me, I would have made a wreck of my whole life. That's my story. Right? That's my story. So the good news is you're like, I made a terrible mistake. That was stupid. That was wicked. That was evil. That was wrong. Well, there's a good thing that, it's a good thing that God's over it. Because if it was just you, there, there would be no hope. But if he's over it, there's hope for you. Here's the principle, Romans 8, 28. We know, we know that for those who love God, wholehearted, what things? All things, well, even the bad things, even the evil things, even the dark things, even the unjust things. Yep, all things work together for good, not for everyone. Not for everyone, for those who are called according to his purpose. I'm gonna give you two case studies and, uh, and then I will perhaps close. Um, <laughs> So there's a case study in Genesis chapter 50, verses 20 and 21. It's an Old Testament story. Then I'll give you a New Testament story. There's a guy named Joseph. He's got a big family, bunch of brothers. God's got a calling on his life. They all get jealous. He's a little arrogant. Dad plays favorites, leads to rivalry within the family. Brothers make a decision. We're gonna sell him into slavery. We're gonna tell dad that he's dead and we'll never see our brother again. And uh, we'll just move on with our life and we'll just, uh, we'll just pretend like we're telling the truth. Joseph's life is very hard. He, 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 he gets falsely accused of rape, even though he's a virgin, didn't do anything. So he gets thrown in prison, he gets forgotten about, he gets used and abused. It's, it's he's listed, registered as a sex offender and he's an innocent guy. Again, problems with the government. And then God does something amazing, he works it all out. So eventually Joseph ends up elevating by God's grace to the right hand of the king of Egypt. He's literally sitting in the same seat as Jesus. I'm at the right hand of the king. And he's ruling and reigning and there's a famine that comes. And his brothers come looking for food because they are on the brink of starvation and death. 
And it just so happens that he's got all the food because God told him to save during the years of plenty so that he would have during the years of lean. Americans and our government still has not learned this hypothetical principle, set some aside for later, but he did. So now his brothers come to him and they're face to face. He's not seen them in years, they don't even recognize him because he doesn't look the same. It's been years and he's an Egyptian and now he's speaking a different language. And he realizes these are my brothers, the brothers who did evil. They sold me into slavery. They wrecked my whole life and they have kept me from seeing the father that I love and the family that I belong to. And he comes face to face with them. And then eventually he reveals to them, I'm, I'm your brother. And they're, they're terrified. They're like, he is going to seek vengeance and destroy us. And here's what he says. You meant, you meant evil against me. It's what? It's evil. You did evil. But, <laughs> but God, you did evil, but God. I'm sorry, I, I, I could feel it in the room. I'm sorry for what they've said. I'm sorry for what they've done. I'm sorry for what you've endured. I'm sorry for what it's cost. And let's just name it evil. But then let's keep reading and say, but God, but God. God always gets the last word. God always determines the outcome and conclusion. But God meant it for good. God is so good, he can use evil for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today, so do not fear. Let me tell you, friends, do not fear. Do not fear. You say, it's dark, do not fear. It's evil, do not fear. It's wrong, do not fear. The number one command in the whole Bible, do not fear. And you need to be able to say with prophetic conviction, that's evil, but God. Because we can be very discouraged, very dismayed if all we see is evil. You look out, you call it evil, you look up and you wait for the but God. I'll give you one more. Acts chapter two, verse 23. Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God knows the future and he's got not, not just a plan, he's got a, he's got a definite plan. He's not like, I don't know, it's in pencil. No, he's got a definite plan. This is such good news. Right now, how many of you are like, can we please get anybody in leadership anywhere that has a plan? At least a definite plan? God has a definite plan. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Here's what happened. Satan wanted to kill Jesus. Judas wanted to kill Jesus, so he invited Satan into his heart. Religious and political leaders wanted to kill Jesus, so they worked with Judas and they worked with Satan. And they all got together and they did evil. They're like, we're killing Jesus. God had a definite plan. That Jesus would go to the cross and he would die in our place for our sins. That he would conquer Satan's sin, death, hell, the wrath of God, and that he would disarm the powers, principalities, and spirits that held people captive in sin. God took the worst moment and used it for the greatest good. You murdered Jesus, but God used that to save sinners. You just need to be patient, dear saint. You just need to wait. God's not done yet. The story's not over yet. The conclusion has not happened yet. Don't be discouraged in the middle of the story. Just by faith, wait until the end comes. Let's bring the band up. I'm just gonna close there. It's evil, but God. Friends, look up, but God. Don't just look at your phone, look up, but God. Don't just look at the culture, look up, but God. Don't just look at the government, look up, but God. Yes, Satan and demons are ruling and reigning and God is ruling and reigning our God, our loving, all-powerful Father who adores his kids with complete affection and devotion, rules over everyone, rules over everything. And when all is said and done, for you, my dear child of God, he's got a definite plan.
Stand up. Let's worship. Father, thank you. Thank you that our God is over it all, that our God sees all, that our God knows all, that our God rules all, that our God uses evil for good, that our God used the worst evil, the murder of Jesus, for the greatest good and the saving of his children. God, we don't see what you're doing, but we see who you are. And so, and so, Father, what I am asking is that you would send the Holy Spirit to encourage your children, your sons and daughters. We don't need to look at what is happening. We need to look at who is reigning over what is happening. And we do that right now in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you want to be a part of getting more Bible teaching out across the world, visit realfaith.com donate. And for more content like this, visit realfaith.com. Thanks for listening. And remember, it's all about Jesus.